Today's guest, on paper at least, in the early part of his career, has all the hallmarks of a classic math and computer science graduate's path through tech, interning at places like Hewlett Packard and working as a developer in his first few years post-college before moving into management. However, for Noah Labhart, there is more to the story than punching the clock working for someone else. After eight years working in IT management for Alcon Laboratories, Noah made the leap on his own and hasn't looked back since. In 2015, he started his own development studio called TouchTap, which specialized in native mobile application development. And as if starting and running one company isn't enough, in 2016, he co-founded Variable, an on-demand marketplace for labor in the warehousing space. Never one to sit still, he also runs the popular Code Story podcast, a podcast featuring tech leaders reflecting on their human story in creating world-changing, disruptive digital products. Stay tuned as we catch up with Noah Labhart and find out how this math and comp sci graduate of Texas A&M left the rat race to build his own company and brand. You're listening to the Developmentor Podcast, hosted by Grant Ingersoll. We have one goal on the show, to help you build a successful career in tech, no matter where you're from or where you're going. We do this by showcasing interesting people working across a variety of roles in tech and deep dive into their why. If you want to learn more, please visit our website at developmentor.com or follow us on Twitter at developmentor. Hey, Noah, welcome to the show. Hey, Grant. Thanks for having me. Always great to have a fellow podcaster on. I know I can trust that you have uh, the right equipment set up. So all, all that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I got my, my big headphones and my big mic in front of me. So feeling good about the quality. I know there's always this, uh, you know, behind the scenes for our listeners. So, you know, who has the better microphone? That's really the question. So share real quick. What are what are you geeking out on with your audio equipment these days? You know, I've, I've been tried and true with my ATR 2100, my Audio-Technica, one for its mobility. And it's kind of quick hookup where I need to whenever I need to record. But I've been eyeing a, a Sure, what is it? Sure SM7 something or it's the, you know, the big can that most people have that I, I haven't got it yet. But that's 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 next on the list. What about you? I love it. I, you know what? I, I'm going to out myself here and I don't know. I think it's a, a Sure 420 or something like that. I forget. You know, I asked the question, you would think I would know the answer. So, And then I, I think I have the similar Audio Technica as well. Uh, so I started off with the headset version first and then I moved to this other uh, just standalone mic. So I kind of used the two paired up. We'll link up all that stuff in the show notes for our listeners, but I'm so glad for you to join. Why don't we kick things off, Noah, and let's go back in your story. And I'd really love to hear what inspired you to get into tech and led you to getting both a comp sci and a math degree at Texas A&M. Certainly. No, I'm excited to be here. Excited to chat with you, Grant. Kind of that part of the story, you know, I went into school at Texas A&M and started out in a computer engineering track. And when I went to school, I uh, was really good at math, but, you know, I really kind of wanted to get into computers. 
But my first year and a half, I did not know how to study and did not know how to take <laughs> take responsibility for myself and my classes. So kind of got weeded out that first uh, year and a half from the program, switched over to math. And at that point, I was like, okay, you know, what, I, what do I want to do? Um, and I was like, okay, I want to do these computer things, but I'm good at math. I'm going to focus on math with a minor in computer science. So I switched over to applied mathematics uh, with a comp sci focus. And, you know, started to kind of wrap my head back around school and, and, and studying and doing the right things. And I um, started pursuing the, the math. And, and the, the idea at that point was to, you know, continue on, get a master's, get a PhD and do the math thing. You know, the comp sci part was really just going to help me with kind of the fast computation of stuff. But, you know, got in the math, started pursuing that. I really started to enjoy my computer science classes, the coding part, um, the creativity that is in coding. You know, build, I started building some websites for myself, just, you know, throwing pictures up of my family and little bios about me, learning HTML and CSS, JavaScript. And I really liked it. So I got down into my, you know, my senior year. I was working as an intern at HP. I was doing .NET development. Uh, C-sharp.net development for the company as an intern. And I was like, I'm about to graduate. I don't really want to go do math anymore. I really want to do software. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to go compare, you know, an applied math degree and a computer science degree, not engineering, but computer science and the coding side and see, you know, what it would take to just get that. And it really would only take me another year. So I ended up staying for one more year and completing out the the final computer science requirements so that I could go straight into programming uh, at school uh, outside of school. So, ended up walking uh, walking the stage twice, grabbing two pieces of paper. That's how that's how that happened. Uh, you know, kind of so kind of went started out computers, went math, and then went back to computers. That's almost <laughs> very similar to my my experience. I, I although I, I did take the classes early on pretty seriously, but I, I was by all intents and purposes going to be a math major. Maybe econ, and then friends showed me computer science, and I'm like, oh, I love this. I want to do this. Uh, I'll just put in a plug here for our, our listeners. Noah, when he says he does personal websites, you should go check out his. He has one of the best personally branded websites I've seen out there. So uh, we'll link that up in the show notes for our listeners, but do go check that out. Now, I alluded to in the intro, Noah, that you started off on a pretty traditional career path, at least on paper anyways. You know, it's, I'm sure there's a lot behind it in that early part of your career before you went on your own. I'm wondering, you know, what were those early years like in terms of your career path? How were you thinking about your career? What were some of those key inflection points as you gained experience? It's an interesting story because it's not on my website, Part this part of it anyway. So I went went and graduated, went and started working for a company called Software Architects. They're now called Sujeti. They were bought by Sujeti. Um, it's basically local DFW um, consulting for you know bigger companies. So I joined that company, went to Pier 1 and did some .NET work for them for about a year. During that time, I, I met some friends and we started a band and we started playing together and they, you know, all my bandmates were based in Burleson, Texas, which is south of Fort Worth. And uh, so I was like, you know, I really want to do this band thing. What company can I go work for that I can do this band thing? At the time, there was an opportunity to work for Alcon Laboratories, uh, which was I had a lot of friends that worked there. Great company, um, takes really good care of their employees, has a you know pretty good flexibility and things. And so I was like, you know, I could do do my band and on the weekends, and then you know have a great job during the week. 
so I did the interview process, um, you know, got the job and I worked for Alcon for, you know, for eight years, eight and a half years, I believe. And, uh, during the first few years, um, there I was, I was playing in my band. Uh, so we did basically toured on the weekend. Uh, we would tour down to, you know, like go play in Austin and then go play in San Antonio and then drive back. Uh, we were all very tired all the time. We had kind of a star tour laid out, but played music. Our music is still out there on Spotify, which is, which is cool. I'm, I'm proud of it, but that's where I, why I went towards the corporate world. And at the same time, I had the idea of, you know, I want to work for, you know, well-known company. I want to, you know, do well, I want to move up the ladder and I want to do that traditional path. I want to have that, you know, security quote unquote of the big box, so to speak. And so that's, that's how I got there. All right. What was the, just real quick, uh, what type of music, what was the name of the band and what did you play? Sure. So we, we, our band name was, uh, was withheld. So W I T H H E L D. And, uh, like I said, our, our music is still on Spotify. So I played guitar and I sang backup vocals and the music type is like a heavy rock with a female led singer. So, um, you know, something like maybe people that are interested in Evanescence or, uh, female led rock bands like Flyleaf, um, they would be probably enjoy it. That, that's so interesting. So basically took the job to support your art is, is those ear, early years of your career, which is probably not a traditional IT path at all. right? <laughs> well, and I want to drill in on the Elcon time here because it, it feels like there's a couple of key moments in here for you. If I'm again, reading the, the, the tea leaves here, you know, so one there's the support your art, but then I believe, you know, you were in IT management, were you writing code? And then you also seem to have climbed up the ladder and actually doing management as well. Those things all happened while you were at Elcon. Was there some shift at this point? Was the the band done? Like, how did that all come about? Absolutely. Um, yeah, there was. So the first few years at Alcon, I was doing coding on the side. I was mainly doing, you know, configuration and deployment for document management systems at Alcon. And then I met my wife in 2008, and we started dating and got married in 2009. Um, at that same time, I switched uh, job roles and sort of really switched my um, switched my life. <laughs> you know, um, you know, got got married to my wife. Now we've been married for 11 years and have three kids. And uh, she's been amazing through all of this journey. You will hear points, uh, definitely points pointed out about her throughout this journey of, uh, you know, picking me up off the ground. And and uh, she's an amazing woman. So yeah, so got married, switched roles there. I actually, during some of that time too, I got my project management certificate. Um, so I'm, I'm a PMP still, still to this day. I also got my MBA while I was there. And I did move into management, I moved into team lead over the sales commissions team, which was still contributing to a lot of SQL, a lot of data warehousing, a lot of computation of, of commissions but then moved into management in the manufacturing plant. So I had a team of six and we were supporting IT systems on the shop floor and, and we supported the automation engineers uh, as, as far as helping them build out their technical components. So that was a bit, a bit of the journey there. And that whole path was aligned with what I, what I wanted in the beginning was that, you know, outside of the band was the security of the job, you know, and moving up the ladder. I, I, I thought I wanted to be CIO someday, right. And get the business acumen to fill in the gaps of my, you know, IT, my technical software building foundation so that I could move into a role 
like that. And that's that kind of brings brings it to the 2014 time frame. Yeah. So is that I want to be CIO someday? Is that why you got the MBA and the PMP? Yeah. So the the PMP was it started out. I want to be a project manager. I want to be able to manage you know projects and deployments. So I was like, well, what what better way than uh, to learn it and do it and then get certified in it and you know basically be able to do a project manager's job. And then I thought about okay, I want to go into management and I want to go towards you know the director role and then the the CIO role. And to do that, I need to understand, you know, how to run teams, how to run budgets, how to plan, how to do all of the things that I was getting exposure to, but in very small chunks. And, and I noticed, you know, like I got all this technical acumen and capabilities, but I don't have this foundational knowledge of business. And so, um, it was very fortunate. And Alcon took very good care of me while I was there. They actually put me through school, and so they paid for my MBA and it was a great kind of night school experience. I was in class with some of my fellow Alcon people. Um, and I still talk to a lot of the individuals I went to school with. You know, it always surprises me how few people I think take advantage of the employer paying for their master's degree or their MBA. But there are so, especially big companies, they often have this as just part of personal growth. And sure, you may have to stay a couple of years after or else you have to pay it back. But such it's almost like a no-brainer. I know that's how I got mine was my my boss paid for one class a semester. And so I did a, I don't know, I think a three-year program to, to do that. Yeah. So now let's, you know, I, I think we're kind of up to speed and we're at, you know, what I imagine was a pretty pivotal moment here. You're at Alcon and, and you then make the leap to go out on your own. You become a, a founder and business owner. I believe this is TouchTap, right? Where you you start a, what is effectively a digital agency. I'm curious why make that leap and how did you decide the time was right and how did you prepare for it? That's a, a great question. And, and it definitely was a pivotal moment in not only my life, but our, our family's life as well, um, because this was a huge decision for you know my wife. We had a young child at the time. I think we were pregnant with our second. So it was a it was a big decision. So, you know, as I'm going through, you know, time at Alcon, I think this is probably about the eighth year. I'm very well taken care of. Like I mentioned, it's a great company, great people. Um, but I'm just not seeing the fruits of my labor. It sort of feels like no matter how hard I work, I'm not going to be able to really move the needle very far. And I think this is I think it's like this in a lot of companies, but I think companies where the the product isn't tech um you know it is essentially uh, an expense to be managed and i get that I, I understand that from a business standpoint but for me personally i didn't i didn't want it. i wanted to work hard and i wanted to see the fruits of that labor and so i started tinkering on the side with a buddy of mine we um we actually started a um a little side company um and started doing mobile projects and uh, building our own ideas, building some small projects for some other people. Uh, and we called it G-Lab. One of my best friends in the world, Chris Gravy, was uh, the, the co-founder of that. And he was the G and I was the lab, as in lab heart. So that was, that was G-Lab. And we, you know, built a few projects, had a few successes, made a few dollars, you know, on the side. And, you know, I, as I was doing that, I was like, this is great. I'm really enjoying this. And I want to give it a shot. I think the time is right to do it. You know, we had put some money away 
uh, we had been, you know, saving our money. Uh, as I said, I was well taken care of at Alcon. So I was able to sort of make a calculated risk of, hey, I'm going to jump out with a little bit of padding. And if things don't go well, then at least we'll be able to eat, you know, <laughs> we'll be able to feed our family and pay our mortgage. So, you know, after a lot of conversations with my wife, who was very supportive, she was amazing to sort of go on this ride and be like, Look, it's going to be good. You know, our faith played a lot of a lot of influence in the decision as well. We're, we're Christians and believe that God was kind of leading, leading us towards that. And we decided to make the jump. So in 2015, April 2015, I decided to leave Alcon. As I was doing that, you know, I asked my friend, hey, do you want to do this with me? And he, he was not at a point where uh, he was ready to jump out where he was, he was doing his full-time job and he just wasn't ready to do the, to do the jump as well. I said, well, let me have the agency and I'm going to rename it to touch tap. And uh, so I did. And then that's when it started. You said first or second child on the way at this. So you've got two young kids. You've got, this is always a tricky one with business partners, right? When one can go take the leap and one can't. So I imagine a lot of, for lack of a better word, negotiations going on as part of that all, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. There was some conversations there, um, but also, you know, he was also very gracious of, you know, we can figure this out as time goes. You know, it wasn't any any rush for us to figure it out. I think after a year, we actually figured out what would be his and what would, um, what would be mine and, you know, how we would square up on ownership, buyout, things like that. Yeah, it's fantastic. A lot of partnerships like that don't end as uh, cordially as it sounds like it did for you. Hey, developmenter fans, be sure to check out the new online series of conferences from Manning Publications called Live at Manning. As many of you know, Manning has been a longtime supporter of the show, offering up free books and discounts for our listeners. Now we're teaming up with them as a media sponsor to spread the word on this new conference series. These conferences are free to attend, filled with talks from some really great tech experts, and streamed globally via Twitch. No travel needed. Next up in the Live at Manning series is a one-day event focused on math and data science. It is on December 1st, starting at 12 p.m. Eastern. This is your chance to hear from speakers like Brian Godsey, Nicole Koningstein, An Lay, and many others. During this show, you'll be able to dive deep on math topics like principal component analysis, linear regression, and probabilistic modeling. Be sure to head over to developmentor.com slash manningmath, all one word, to find out more. In case you didn't catch that, there's a link in our show notes. We'll see you there. I'm curious, how did you go about getting those clients, especially now that you're out on your own? You know, this, this kind of work can often be feast or famine. Like, how did you go get clients? What are some maybe actionable tips for our listeners there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the number one thing, that I think most people know, but tech people struggle with is that networking is incredibly valuable. I would say that we're, you know, from a referral standpoint, uh, probably the first year and a half, most, most, if not all my work was referrals. You know, I would go meet some people, talk to some people that I knew, ask for introductions, and then, you know, go to do some work. So got a few projects through some friends that I know that run creative agencies and some people that they knew that need needed technical work. And so got a couple of projects. And then after that, you have some, you have a portfolio to point out. I would go after, you know, postings on AngelList. I would go after postings on LinkedIn. I would kind of poke around in sort of non-traditional ways 
to try to find opportunities. I would also kind of sell the agency as, as myself, if that makes sense. I would say, let me come work for you. And also I have a team that we can utilize. And so that, that helped get my foot in the door. Um, sometimes it wasn't met well. Sometimes people are like, I wasn't looking for an agency. I was looking for a, a person and that's okay. But sometimes it was, sometimes it's like, oh, great. You have a team. Yeah, let's, let's utilize that. Uh, and so I tried to kind of use that to get my foot in the door. And, and to be honest, it was, it was an area that I, I struggled in was, you know, the leads. Uh, we did a lot of uh, inbound marketing for TouchTab, did a lot of content building and that was good and it worked, but I never really figured out a formula and I've, I've never been really great at it. I feel like I'm a, I'm a good architect, a good builder, but that's something I've, I had to grow in and didn't, I don't think I did a really great job of generating the, the leads there. So I could probably say a lot of stuff not to do. Let's go with that. What, what is one or two things maybe that come to mind for things that just didn't work and for, and for you? Yeah, sure. I mean, after a while, the reaching out, trying to sell myself stopped working. You know, I, I would try to sell myself maybe like on a posting on AngelList and then point to my agency website and people would be like, yeah, that's not, that's an agency. That's not you, you know, um, so that, that didn't work out. And, and it, it, you know, it started to present itself a little bit as deceptive and, and I didn't want to appear that way. It's definitely not what I was trying to intend to do. So that, that's one thing. I think we tried a little bit of, of social media type stuff to get people involved or create sort of competitions or to get more activity on social. And it's a, it's strange as an agency on social, there's just not a lot of action there <laughs> from a lead standpoint. So th those couple of things didn't really, didn't really work at all. And, I mean, you know, we still tried them. And I think a lot, that's a lot of the, the journey is trying to figure out what works for you. Uh, they were fun. You know, I enjoyed doing them. I enjoyed doing all of that. But, you know, the results were definitely mixed or nil. Yeah, I know. I can relate to that. Like the, how to get leads, how to get your name out there. I mean, that's always a, a challenge in any business, especially in this day and age. It's it's like it's easier than ever and it's harder than ever. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, so now, as I understand it, you then also have started Variable or you sh you shut down TouchTap and then started Variable. Like what's the transition here to the variable. And of course, since you're the founder of that, I would love to hear the founding story behind this as well. Sure. Absolutely. So I think it was, uh, we founded it in 2016, probably early 2016. You know, I started to get the itch to build my own thing. Basically what I was doing at TouchTap was building startup solutions. Uh, you know, we did support some bigger corporations. We supported some different types of industries, but our bread and butter was startups, um, the back of the napkin ideas. And so it's like, man, I love doing this and I want to go do my own. I want to do an idea. I want to build something, but I'm not the idea guy. <laughs> I was like, I don't have any ideas. <laughs> I had some that I was like, I don't know that those are okay. I, I don't know that I would ask people to throw money at some of these ideas that I was having at the time. That's something I've kind of had to sit in and maybe grow more. Um, I've grown a lot more as an idea guy and a hopefully want to step into someday as a, you know, a visionary of, of some other project later on. But at that time, that's definitely, I definitely was not that guy. I was the executor. So it's like, okay, I'm going to start looking around and see if there are people, you know, just having conversations with people that are, have the ideas and that, you know, if I like the idea, maybe we can do them. 
And so I talked to my friend, Ryland Barnes, um, one of my best friends in the world. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. We were college roommates. He's a successful tech entrepreneur as well and sold his company called uh, Shop Savvy a while back. And talked to him. I was like, hey, man, I got the itch to do my own thing, but I don't I don't have any ideas. So I'm looking for a co-founder. And if you know of anybody, you know, hook me up, introduce me, we'll talk. And immediately he said, you need to talk to Mike. So Mike, my partner here at Variable is Mike Kinder. And he was friends, really good friends with Ryland's older brother. So we got together for lunch in 2016, talked over the idea. I had supported manufacturing at Alcon, like I mentioned earlier. I also worked on the shop floor as a college kid you know, packaging insulation. So I knew that environment too, and from different angles. And so he pitched the idea for variable to me, which is a, is the on-demand marketplace for manufacturing and distribution labor. And I couldn't poke holes in it. You know, I have listened to startup ideas for a long time, built a lot of solutions, but I couldn't poke holes in it. I was like, I think this is going to work. Um, went and had a conversation with my wife about it and decided to give it a, give it a whirl. That was in, you know, we formed the company in May, 2016, launched the first pilot in February of 2017. And now we're, you know, in 10, 11 states, we're moving into the Midwest and we're 80 people strong and it's been a really fun ride. Yeah, that's amazing. Now that's still yet another leap here, right? In terms of, I mean, it's one thing to go kind of sell your time for money, right? Doing the consulting and digital agency thing. It's a whole nother thing to go build a platform. You know, I love the honesty about not being an idea guy, although I think you, you you also hinted at another key thing in there is the more people you meet, the more things you look at, all of a sudden you start to generate your own ideas too. So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I love all of that coming together, but I, tell me a little bit more about actually making that leap. Like, did you all bootstrap? Did you find venture funding? Like, how did this come together of, okay, you've got an idea. That's one thing. People have ideas all the time. How did you then turn that into an actual application and something that you could sell, especially one that requires people to be involved? Right, right. It's a great question. So we started out building the initial prototype using some funds that uh, Mike had and then using my agency. So basically paying my agency members at cost and then me, obviously, for free. So I was building the mobile side of things, had a, had a guy building the back end and the website of things for the early, early prototype. And so we took, you know, Mike's in investment dollars and, and my agency and built out the first prototype. At that point, we knew we were going to have to have some boots on the ground to help us pilot technical boots. And then also, you know, some early marketing sales type boots as well. And so we, Mike went out and, you know, started doing a friends and family round of fundraising. And so we, we kind of scraped together money to bring a team together that sort of lasted about six months, maybe six to eight months. Got an office space in Dallas, the same office space we're in now. And sort of, I don't want to say limped, but we kind of did. Worked really hard to launch a pilot, to fix bugs, to make the product functional, and to essentially pay our team to function as a company. And we made it through the first six months. After that, we started to have more you know, serious fundraising conversations, like kind of more seed round type conversations rather than a series A. We weren't ready for that. We weren't big enough. And Mike, Mike did a, a huge circle of conversations with uh, venture companies. I did a couple of them with him. 
but he's he's been primarily responsible for establishing the relationships with our investors. With those conversations, it's it's a, a hundred no's and a few yeses, and it's, it's an emotionally trying time. And um, he did yeah, he did fantastic with it, and he met our current board and our current uh, set of investors. Uh, one angel investor who came in and really believed in the idea and and believed in us, and then another one of his connections, which is kind of a smaller seed VC firm that, that is more of a feeder firm into uh, bigger investments later. And so we got continued doing that. And then we've done seed rounds over the past three years. So we've done a couple more with those individuals and then a couple new individual VCs as well. We bootstrapped a bit in the beginning with some capital that my co-founder had and then, you know, the people capital that I had at my agency and sort of raised the money we needed when we needed it. Well, you know, and this is, you know, sure, it's a SaaS product at one level, but you also then have to go and get people to sign up for this, you know, both the company, you know, because it's right, it's a two-sided marketplace, right? So you've got, you know, much like Uber, you've got to get people to sign up and say, I'm willing to work. And then you've got to get companies to say, and I need workers, right? So while also building all the software, is that right? That's right. Yeah. So it we had a, you know, classic marketplace chicken and egg problem, right? And our original hypothesis was that the supply side, the worker side, uh, which we refer to as operators, were going to be more difficult than the businesses. We thought the businesses are going to get this, they're going to see the value, and immediately they're going to attach to it. We were actually wrong on that. Um, the supply side, we've been able to do really well and our numbers are, are really great. They're very active community. And at some level, we've been able to automate the efforts there. And I say at some level, it's, there's still a supply team that manages a lot of that. But from the business side, it, it takes a lot of education for people to realize, one, that we're not temp staffing. Um, we're not temporary staffing. We're not staffing. We're not staff augmentation. We are a technology, a, a tool, a marketplace to connect um, these individuals. And so we've ha we had to go out and do a lot of education that we weren't expecting. That was one lesson we learned early on was like, this is going to take a little more on the business side, a little more education, a little more understanding up front. And, and so we had to learn that. Well, and that, that kind of is a, is a good way of coming back to you and your own personal journey. You know, you've been on your own for five years. I guess technically, you know, you're co-founder of both of these places. Maybe on your own is not quite the right term there. But what are some of the key takeaways you've learned about making those leaps, about yourself, about dealing with, let's face it, there's always a lot of ups and downs in, in startups, no matter how well funded or, or whatever. What are, what are some of those key takeaways, Noah? Early on in the TouchTap days, there was a project that went south really quick. And I, I would call it my first project. I bit off way more than I could chew. And coming out of the corporate world as a manager, flying high, you know, I got my MBA. I know what I'm doing. I can conquer the world. And then, you know, got the rug pulled out from underneath me pretty quickly and lost control of a project, lost a good amount of personal money. And I learned from that that you have to eat the elephant one bite at a time. You know, you've really got to take steps. And so I looked at, it's a little story of how TouchTap grew. After that failed project, I, I reset. You know, that was the point where I was mentioning my uh, my wife when we were talking earlier. She picked me up off the ground uh, when I was crying in the corner, uh, going, this is a part of the journey. Uh, you're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And, you know, just got to get back out there and learn from it and, and mm -hmm. get going. 
So after that project went south, I reset and I basically started touch tap over as just me. Like touch tap was me. And so I took on some projects, had some successes, built some software, built up my portfolio a little bit, got bogged down with too much work. I said, okay, now that I have too much work, I can bring on someone to, to help me. Brought someone part-time. We both got bogged down pretty quickly, brought that person on full-time and continued that progression from there. Just as problems needed to be fixed, we you know, brought on more help or we brought on different solutions. We didn't try to bite off more than we could chew. And that's how TouchTap grew. And we've done pretty much the, the, a similar thing at Variable. You know, we've started with unconstrained models. We've built things as we've needed them, as instead of building you know, these intricate systems, we've built something, responded to market feedback, and then built it in a new way to meet the needs of the market. So for me personally, that's been a huge lesson to not bite off more than I can chew. And I still have to remind myself to this day that that's important. You know, the other thing I've really learned is the value of people and the value of team. I have an amazing team here at Variable. Definitely amazing across the board, but I'm referring to, to my team, my technical team, my, my engineering team. They're absolutely outstanding, not only engineers, but people. And we have worked really hard to build and protect a team culture of excellence, of moving fast, of supporting one another, of collaborating, and how quickly we move on the engineering side is, I think, attributed to how great these people are and how great our team culture is. So how important that is, I've really learned how valuable that is and how important it is throughout this whole entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, what are maybe one or two examples? Because building culture is, is so can be so hard and it's different at every company. What are one or two things that maybe values you all live by or things you try to uh, work through together in terms of, of building that great culture? Absolutely. So, you know, one thing that we do that comes to mind is, is shipping on the first day. So whether you're an intern, whether you are an engineer, whether you're, you know, a lead, you jump in and you ship something on the first day. So your name is on the platform the day one. And uh, we really try to focus on autonomy. We, we hire people that want to come in and do a great job on their own and want to figure things out on their own. And at the same time, we also promote you know, a, kind of an open door policy for all of our team members, you know, like how do we collaborate well? How do we always ask questions? We do a stand up every morning and really get questions out there. We, we hang out, you know, we'll go, you know, blow off some steam, go do happy hours or go do activities together, go to concerts, things like that, um, just to have fun and connect that way. You know, we've done hackathons before. Uh, we do this thing called uh, donuts where, you know, basically we have one-on-one -on -one conversations between team members and you're assigned randomly each week to someone. And so you basically go sit down and talk to them and, you know, what are you working on? How can I help you? So promoting that culture of collaboration and help those things, you know, just some examples that have really propagated the culture. Uh, donuts isn't, you know, you, you go and rent a car and go do donuts out in the, the parking lot <laughs> for 20 minutes. <laughs> maybe maybe that'll be a team building uh, exercise. <laughs> no, and I think uh, we have a similar, I think it's a Slack app or something called Donut or something, right? Where it, it pairs you up randomly with people who opt in. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. That's absolutely correct. 
Well, so you've got all, and that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Uh, let's segue a little bit here because you know you're a fellow podcaster, and you've you're starting this venture back company or bootstrapped venture back. You've you've got a full day building your own company, and then you've also kicked off what looks to be like a pretty successful podcast. It's called Code Story. Tell our listeners what it's about and who it's for, and and why they should listen. Absolutely. Yeah. Fellow podcaster here and love what you're doing at Developmenter and, and Code Story. You know, it started out as me being a podcast junkie and listening to how I built this with Guy Raz and just loving the format and wanting that for tech, but, you know, couldn't find it. So I decided to jump out and do, do it on my own. There was another piece to it, though, that, you know, I was having conversations with other CTOs about how they were solving problems, how they were building things. And, you know, I realized Hey, I could just record these and put them on a podcast. You know, <laughs> we're we're talking about the the juicy tidbits of how people solve problems and what the human experience was on you know building teams and scaling software and things like that. So I have a network of these people that I talk to already. Why don't we start recording the conversation? So Code Story is just that. It's it's a interview style kind of uh, podcast where it's narrated. It's got a music bed, but what we do is really dig into the human stories of building disruptive technology. We uncover the bits about, you know, what it's like to build something from nothing, right? What it's like to make trade-offs when you're building an MVP, you know, how you progress a product with a roadmap, how you listen to the market, how you scale it, how you think about scalability. Do you start not scalable? How, where do you take on technical debt? And then how do you progress it and grow it into a world-changing product? So, you know, people that would, would listen to this would be you know, interested in startups, interested in technology, interested in, in software development, or really just interested in really good stories. The stories that come out of the shows are not ones and zeros conversations. They are, you know, conversations with individuals about how they, you know, used a hammer to build a house are technology folks are using software to build something to solve a problem. It's the same thing as a carpenter using a hammer, just, you know, technologists, we use ones and zeros. So anybody listening to good stories too would enjoy it. Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll, of course, link it up. Uh, I noticed just in looking through and listening to some of them, so many great stories in there, especially if you're on that path of you want to start your own. I know just even as you're saying that, I know I could have used that when I was back uh, co-founding my company. So, you know, because there's just not, you know, there is now more of it, but like you said, there's just not a lot of that been there, done that, and, you know, got the t-shirt kind of side to this. So. Right. Sitting at the campfire or sitting in the coffee shop, just talking to the builder themselves about, man, what was it like, you know? Well, and so you've got a little bit of an audio background as well, but I'm kind of curious, you know, what it's meant for you to actually run it. So kind of go meta on the podcast, you know, you just shared what it's about, but like, why, why did you want to run it beyond that? And uh, maybe some behind the scenes around what what that's like for you. Yeah, it's you know it's it's been a fun project for me. I think I've always been interested in podcasts, being a listener. I had some friends that started their own podcast, and you know, kind of watched them do it. And I was like, oh, that's just a really cool process. And being you know a podcast junkie, listening to how I built this, I and and also being a musician, I really liked the music aspect and creating an audio experience. And 
that was a big thing for me. And so for me, why I do it, uh, you know, it's, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. I, I love talking shop with people. I love talking experiences with people, whether it's tech or not. But, you know, specifically on, on the podcast, we're talking about building things from nothing, you know, starting something new and the ups and downs that come with it. And that's just really, really fun to have those conversations. And then you throw in the audio production part of it, of laying a music bed, music bed and creating tension with the music and creating tension with the narration and the story is really interesting and uh, just kind of fun for me. So that's, it's really been a fun project for me to do. So, you know, I, I do hope it becomes a thing one day, but at, at the same time, if it doesn't, I'm still thoroughly enjoying the practice. Dang, I got to up my game. You've got like a soundtrack for your podcast. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will confess, I've always wanted to do either a presentation or a whole show that is set to music. In my family, we're, we're, we all love music, but the, the running joke is that the instrument I get to play in the family band is the triangle. <laughs> <laughs> and even that, I don't think I would do all that well at, but, but, but I love music. And so I've always wanted to have like this presentation or this episode that's set to music, like you said, where it, you know, it peaks and ebbs and flows with the, the tension of, of, of the story. So. Right. That, hey, you don't give up on your triangle, man. You, you hang on to that dream. You're going to get it. Uh, you know, I, I don't even think I could do the cowbell like Will Ferrell, you know, like where you actually have to keep the beat. I think it's just like I'm going to ding the triangle every now and then. So, you know, Noah, bringing this back in and focusing in on you, you know, so you've been on this for journey for five years now. We talked about some of the challenges. What's What's been the most rewarding aspects of it for you? Like, what do you take away from it in terms of what it's meant for you, your career, your family? I think for me, there's two things, and I think the latter is the most important. So I'll start with the the lesser of the two. I, I really enjoy building solutions that really solve problems and that really impact and add value to life. For me personally, I, I just I don't want to just build things that are noisy. I want to build things that are adding value to our life, and I, I really think that. You know, that's what we're doing here at Variable, and I I really enjoy that. I really think that that is a that keeps me passionate about the project. So building solutions, I think, is something that I, I get a lot of joy out of. And I think the other part that has been just absolutely fantastic is the people, the people that I've gotten to work with. You know, whether it be Alcon, whether it be in a Touch Tap, whether it be at a Variable, and all the all of my you know entrepreneurial or professional experiences, I've worked with some amazing people. And I've learned so much from those individuals that I still take with me to this day and I still use to this day. So I think that's been just really cool uh, to look back and be like, man, I've worked with some really smart, really wise people. And uh, that's a, an honor and a blessing to, to be able to say that. Yeah, that's fantastic, especially in this day and age, finding good people to work with. And, you know, and especially if you can find really good ideas to work on them with, right? You know, I've, I've worked at kind of places where I've punched the clock, but there's really good people and that's what kept me there. And then other places where uh, it's a great idea, but the people, eh, not so much. So uh, if you can find the two of those, that is the uh, holy grail, as they say. Two more questions for you, and we'll wrap up. You know, the first one being, 
Noah, as you reflect back, what's been the most surprising thing? What is, you know, something that 18 year old Noah would be like, you know, other than, hey, you were going to be a, a, a rock star. But what is the most surprising thing about your career to date and the thing that, you know, perhaps that serendipitous moment? Yeah, you know, that's a really great question. I don't I haven't thought of that before. I think what comes to mind is like I think in the beginning, I didn't expect to be out of my own which is interesting given, you know, my family uh, has a lot of entrepreneurs in it. I have a ton of, of family that run their own businesses and that's, it's just kind of in the lab part blood, we'll, we'll say. But in the beginning, I was not expecting that. I was expecting to be at Alcon um, my entire career and, you know, really shoot for that CIO spot and, uh, and retire, you know? And, and I think it was really surprising that, I mentioned my faith earlier, but surprising that God really opened this thing up inside of me and said, no, you, you, you need to go do your own thing. I, I want you to, I want you to go over here. It was surprising, but it was also hard. <laughs> it was a hard journey, but so fruitful and really, really valuable. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. But I was, I was, I don't know that I was ever expecting it until it happened. Yeah, I just love those serendipitous moments or those calling points, you know, and and, you know, that's something for our listeners here really, too, is this like you don't have to know right off the bat. Right. You know, it's OK to pursue one thing and if it doesn't work out, then then go to the next. So I appreciate very much hearing that, Noah. Last question. It's total softball. It's been amazing having you on the show. I love the journey through from getting a job to support your art to, you know, really finding the things that drive you around ideas and execution. Super easy question. Where can our listeners best follow you, connect with you and learn more about you? Absolutely. Well, Grant, this has been super awesome. I hope to do it again someday. You know, as far as its connection, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not on I'm not on any other social media except for LinkedIn. So that's where you can find me as far as social. You can check out my website, noahlabhart.com. Um, you can check out the podcast at codestory.co or learn more about variable at variableops.com. So those are those are my main hubs. Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll be sure, of course, to link all of those up in the show notes. Noah, thank you again so much for joining me today. Thanks, Grant. It's been an honor. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Developmentor podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Even better, please leave us a review. If you want to hear older episodes, leave feedback, or sign up to be a guest, please visit us at developmentor.com. If you'd like to support the show, there are three ways you can help out. One, make a donation via Patreon. Two, if you're a software engineer looking for your next gig and wanting to practice interviewing, use our referral link to the interviewing.io platform. And three, buy your next tech book from Manning Publications using our affiliate link. All of those links can be found at developmentor.com slash support dash us. That's S-U-P-P-O-R-T dash U-S. All one word. Most importantly, if you like this show, please tell your friends. Referrals are the lifeblood of any podcast. Finally, we here at Developmentor hope that each and every episode helps you move one step closer to finding your path.
Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.